Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. Shirley comes to you once a week recapping the Hollywood week that was getting you ready for the Holly Weird Week to come. I got it right this week. This is MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. Brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Also Mike here. We have another loaded week with yeah. earthquakes and <laughs> yeah. things happening in Hawkins. Yeah. All hope, kinds of stuff. Hope everyone out there on the West Coast, all our friends out there, uh, survive those earthquakes. That sounds like a terrifying time. Uh, we here on the East Coast didn't have that to deal with, but we all can revel in what happened in Hawkins. What went down, that's going to be one of the first things we talk about as we recap what we're watching this week. It's what we're watching, Michael. <laughs> Thank all you. Right. Stranger Things Season 3, the big question that we posed on Twitter and that we asked ourselves this weekend heading into the weekend was... Is it worth it? Is it worth binging? Mike, you have a hot take on this. So I watched season one when it came out, and I think I binged it. I watched over a day or two, and it was, like, uh, fine. (laughs) It was was fine, all right? I didn't think it was worthy of this pop culture phenomenon that it turned into, but I also feel that way about most popular shows for some reason that just doesn't connect with me. I don't think you are the 80s baby I am. I'm not. I was born mid-decade, and I love all those old 80s movies. But, But I love the 80s slashers. Yeah, and this is like 80s horror. Listen, this is basically the show that loved everything in Uncle Al's video collection. <laughs> like my right. Uncle Al's video right. collection that I grew up watching. <laughs> this is the show that harkens back to all of that. Speaks to you. Yeah. Johnny Five, Never Ending Story, all that stuff. <laughs> right. That you really haven't seen. No. If you had an Uncle Al, he was an evil Uncle Al. <laughs> Who showed you all the the Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers? My stuff. uncle didn't have cable until I was like in my <laughs> teens and almost twenties. So no, he had not stolen the same library thing. tapes of slasher movies. Right. Well, pretty much that's it. But so I I did season one and I was like meh. So I didn't get into season two and then season three came along and again it was the biggest popular thing going and it was all over the internet. So I was like. Is it worth diving into? Do I have to start with season two? Can I do it? Should I try? I tried doing, I did an episode and a half of season two. And I'm like, I can't do this. Well, that's unfortunate. I, again, I think it's because you don't, you don't, you don't love the I member the berries. Affinity, yeah. You don't love the nostalgia from season one. Cause season two is probably a weaker monster story. Season okay. one was pretty cool. Season three is a better monster story than season two. For me, it's all about the characters, though. The pairings of the characters. and I love the cast, by the way. Well, last year they had a big thing with Eleven and Hopper, which was great. It was just chef's kiss. (laughs) I loved every second of it. It was phenomenal. When Eleven got off on her own... It was the worst episode of television. I almost quit the series. Oh, wow, really? The, the episode was so bad, it really took points off the whole series rewatch. And you would think that would be the most interesting one, because she has, obviously, the juiciest backstory. The backstory wasn't handled all that well, either. It was kind of the worst thing about that season. It was interesting, but it was too overdramatic. But isn't that the She's problem? always screaming. Like, <laughs> she is always screaming. <laughs> so many waffles. Isn't that the problem, though? Like, they're... It should be more interesting. That's like Mike and like this is a very juicy set piece and a very juicy plot overall. And I, why am I not attract? This should be easy to attract me. Does a bunch of kids in a 1980s town dressing up as Ghostbusters make you happier? <laughs> 
than not. I don't know. It makes me really happy because right. I, I like that sort of thing. I remember the Ghostbusters cartoon, for Christ's right. sake, when I was growing up. I, I just think that the nostalgia really worked on me. But like I said, the fun pairings, there was a few last year, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed that. This year, they hit it out of the park. There's one fun pairing after the next, and they bring these side characters up. It's just so great <laughs> that you get these side God characters damn it. becoming I'm going to give this, like, try enough. This is going to be my new Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones I tried to get into, like, three times. I just couldn't each time. But everyone talked so glowingly and reverentially about it that I had to keep trying. So the big thing about Season 2 was that there were such high moments on the character front. Like, the, the you know, the, the romance in a sitcom that you're waiting to blossom. Right. You're waiting and waiting and waiting. And they're, they're basically stringing you along. And uh -huh. they're just hinting at it. Ross and Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Slight flirtations. Yeah. That that'll happen a little bit more All in right. season two, and you'll get that moment where it's just like the greatest episode. I rewatched some episodes in that season because I was just so happy that two characters got together. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw a lot. And of that. No, it's yeah. not the little kids. <laughs> well, that's not that creepy. Yeah, the, the Jeffrey Epstein podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so there's a lot of the fun new characters, and again, they're in season three, and it, they just have a wealth of terrific characters to work with. And that's the best thing about season three. Uh, Jonathan Hogue at JT. H-O-G-U-E-2 said, 110% worth it. Season 3 is a summer blockbuster. We've been needing. Season 2 is still good and addicting, but Season 3 is on a whole new level. Would kill to hear your guys' review of the new season. Uh, Jonathan so. Hogue just threw a sandwich at his radio when I started speaking. <laughs> then I'm sorry to disappoint you there. I, I, just, I haven't gotten to Season 3. I'm, I suppose I'll give Season 2 another try at some point, but... When we get to what I'm covering and what we're watching, I did find a binge that I'm currently in of a different show, so that's going to take a while. But let's get to some other listener comments here. Aliani Silvermist at Aliani EQ. I'm glad I'm not the only one who struggled with season two. I've really been questioning whether to watch the new season because of it. Taking after you. I So I, I would say this. If the high moments in season two weren't as high, then I would agree with her. But mm -hmm. I just love some of the moments in season two. In season three, there are epics moments that it re really paid off fun spectacle that was really awesome and monster moments much more horror filled than in season one that i thought they really pulled off i was season surprised one, there was that. a great season one, delay season two. in the horror yeah great long-term delay you don't really get any horror in season one until well you get you get horror tropes but you don't get actual monster movies until probably the last episode of the season now season two tried to go super big big mm -hmm. grand scale and I think they actually it works a lot better when you're just in a hallway and there's a monster chasing right. you through a hospital hallway. Agree. Like that's scary in season three. I really love that. And so that's now, season three. That's not season two. That's not season two. Season two is like all of the epic stuff, and you're wondering what's happening. You know, the, it's all the other dimensional stuff here. It's just monsters in our dimension that we gotta figure out and find, and and it's it's much cooler, I would say. Uh, the last DJ at R, the letter R, David, on the wire, he agreed with, with what uh, Jonathan Hoag said that we commented on earlier, but he said, I threw that question admission out, and the consensus seems to be people feel the same. Watch the season two recap, and then watch season three. So another one that's saying season two had more lulls than maybe highs, but season three is definitely worth it. But then you wouldn't see the two characters finally, <laughs> finally finish their arc together. Why? That would be a terrible what idea. Was that volume? I'm sorry. <laughs> Tone it of came, voice. In my brain, it came out normal. <laughs> Ryan L. Terry also chimed in. I didn't care for season two, but power through for season three. Yeah, that, that would be my thesis, I think, because there's bad moments in season two. 
But, look, I think this show is super bingeable. Even season two, like, it's going to have enough momentum once it gets going that you'll enjoy it. Uh, again, you need, like, the nostalgia factor, but there are two phenomenal episodes in season two, and then there's a couple that just are awesome in season three. Look, it's not, in my opinion, one of the greatest shows ever. Like, I don't put it up there at all. Mm. But in terms of an eight-hour binge watch, I did four one day. I think it was Friday. And then four on Saturday. I didn't go out. I was working late. And I was <laughs> tired. And I got home and I watched four at four. And it was, it was perfect for me. Maybe I'm just a contrarian that hates the most popular show at all times. Because I well, wasn't gonna in the work loss great. when it was It's going to work great for our podcast. I like Breaking Bad a lot. That was good. <laughs> I agree. Breaking Game of Bad Thrones can go to hell. All right. What else did you watch this week, Michael? I finally saw Book Smart. Good. And it was the best damn thing I've seen in a few weeks. Uh, this is a nearly perfect high school party movie. Good. Look, there are crimes committed here that mm-hmm. I think people should have been locked up for, especially teachers. <laughs> but it's funny. They make like 10 jokes about it, so commit your crimes willy-nilly. Fine. <laughs> and the driving is just drove me nuts in this. Like Teenagers, stop doing the Fast and Furious driving. You should be locked up on that alone. No. Don't teach kids to drive this way. We're going to live forever. That's what you think when you're a kid. It's relentlessly funny, Mike. There's a great story about friendship that made me emotional. The music is phenomenal. It's just really terrific from start to finish. You have a great script like there is a scene in this one to really and as an inciting incident that blew me away it's so well written and it's a bathroom scene olivia wilde is she's just going to be a force in this business the writers on this one did a great job what a debut i'm really high on this movie i gave it an a minus which is a rare grade for me and uh, it's definitely one of my absolute favorite movies of the year. Awesome. Good to hear that. Glad to hear that. And I can't wait to see more from Olivia Wilde. Hope she keeps getting the chance. A couple other things real quick. Bad Genius this is a Thai film from 2017 about a bunch of super smart kids who cheated on this STIC exam, which is based on a true story about kids cheating on the SATs. So this is a morality tale, really high production values. It got a lot of buzz a couple years ago. I never caught it uh, as a foreign film. And... Mike, uh, terrific suspense story. Great acting by these kids. There's going to be an American remake, or at least it's been buzzed about quite a bit. This is on Netflix right now. Uh, look, I mean, this is this is worth a watch. So how did say. they cheat? They got the answer, the, the answer booklet ahead of time? Oh, it is way more than that. It's literally a bad genius at work. Oh, all right. I loved it. Uh, check that out. All right. Well, something I hated was the loudest voice. This is the Russell Crowe in a fat suit show on <laughs> Showtime. I absolutely loathed every second of it. He's snarling for an hour at a time. I, I watched the second episode by accident. I thought it was the first episode. Mm-hmm. It was the 9-11 show. <laughs> and 9-11 shows, even when they're bad, like the Oliver Stone movie, it's still good. It still wraps you up. Yeah, it's still emotional. It for sure. But this was just awful. The dialogue is pathetic. Ooh. It's just pathetic and so cliched. It's like the Oscar grabbiest shit that we have to review that we're like, this in a million years should not be close to a red carpet. And I, I'm, I'm really upset with it. There's a line of dialogue. It's our time, Rupert. It's our time. <laughs> What the hell is that? And it looks like Russell Crowe in a fat suit. So immediately, I hate it. It's like only the middle of his face moves because that's his actual face, and then the rest of the jowls don't move. They really got to figure that out. I'm sad to hear all this because that certainly looked interesting to me, and I wanted to check it out. I was going to wait for a couple episodes to pass and try to binge through them, but maybe not now. But I also thought that this was 
going to be in place of the untitled Roger Ailes project movie that we had commented out was going no, to come out still in 2019. Yeah, yeah. But that's still coming, that Jay Roach film, that's still coming out. And John Lithgow will be playing Roger Ailes in that. Fair and balanced. We got Charlize yeah. Theron in that. So hopefully they'll do it right with the movie version. But it, I don't know. On TV, I, I heard people raving about that's this sad. at the family picnics. Yeah. I'm like, it's all right. I guess I got to watch some of it and, and report on it to you folks. But no, I'm sorry. Oh, no. All right. I watched Beat Bobby Flay three Love episodes <laughs> when I was very, very, very tired, at, you know, in between Stranger Things episodes. And I meant to watch none of it. And I ended up watching th- of 90 minutes. Because it's the most addicting shit on TV if you happen to come across it. Why do you think I'm a slave to guys' grocery games I'll all these years? 90 minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, of I've course. done this before. And I just get very hungry, and I eat ham sandwiches, and then I watch Bobby. Yeah, I watch Bobby get beat twice. Well, the ajou is in my mind. Of course, I can't really make an ajou, but it's in my mind. It's a crook, Michelle. Mike, I watched the Knicks Summer League. All right. So if you're not into the sports talk, you might want to tune out for the next five minutes. Fast forward for a minute. We can't go more than a minute. We're gonna go 35 minutes hard (laughs) on this. Talk about the Knicks Summer League to start. R.J. Barrett is terrible. He's like a young, slow, drunk J.R. Smith. I love it. I, I think he's a total bust already. Put it in my veins. <laughs> he's a total, like, at least with Kevin Knox, he'll go off for, like, 12 points in a row. Right. He'll do freakish things. He'll make a couple threes, and he'll dazzle you for a second. Right. Mitchell Robinson will do stuff where you're like, wow, if this kid puts it all together, we're going to be great. But then Kevin Knox disappears for, like, a half a game. Hot and and Mitchell sure. Robinson has, you know, four goaltendings and uses all of his seven fouls. <laughs> and these youngsters are not winning summer league games. They're 0-2. So they the Knicks don't have anything. We suck. <laughs> RJ Barrett is an absolute facade. Okay, so right how many now. games of, the, of his did you watch? Two, and I he's going. He's he's never seen a shot he doesn't like. He's got no athleticism. He's a lefty. He shoots from like his belly. Right. I just can't stand a him. couple things here. One, I pray to God everything you say is true <laughs> because it would it would make me very happy. Uh, Two, I think it's a little early to say he's a bust. Well, that part of my brain is is saying, all right, go back to your old, early 2000s Nick Apologist uh, roots. Right. And say, well, he's not in shape. and It's his second professional his game second ever. Game, and his shooting's cold, and he's down yeah. on himself, and whatever. He's not, infilt- he's not worked into the uh, offense. But we got our second round pick going off for 30. Ignas Bradzikas is going crazy. And it's, it's looking awesome. League. It's summer league. I'm I telling know, you. I know. I followed this when the Celtics were on the come up. And I thought so many guys were going to be awesome. And they just turned out to be nothing. It means it's meaningless. It all does is, is get your hopes up or not. Yeah, but when Tatum lights it up in Summer League or when Porzingis lit it up in Summer League, then they became awesome in the real thing. Yeah, but also, what was that kid's name? Josh Selby. Won the Summer League MVP a couple of years right. ago. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what you want to see is. glimpses. You want to see You do. That's moments. true. And I've not seen a single, two games. single moment of R.J. Barrett doing anything that I like It's been yet. two games. I mean, it's time. Oh, I'm just, I'm distraught. <laughs> I'm distraught. So that's where I'm at in my head. So that's your skip. If we're Absolute, seen by skipping. Absolutely. I uh, Why? Why did I do this to myself? But I, I don't okay. know. Well, what about a C and a buy for things you watched this week? Well, definitely buy Booksmart. And I would watch Stranger Things 3 again. I was like almost sad last night when I was looking for things to watch. I ended up watching the Russell Crowe. Turned it off halfway through. Couldn't find anything else and watched the rest of the episode. Because I, I was like, I, I'm out of Stranger Things. So <laughs> I would totally love another Stranger Things. I love the way that ended. So I'm seeing that. I'm skipping the loudest voice. I'm skipping... 
the NBA. What about the three seasons of Stranger Things? If you could see by skip those, what would you do? Jesus, I really enjoyed some of season two. I would probably okay. see that again. Now I'm almost curious to rewatch it. I don't think I need to rewatch season one, but. So I'll skip that for now, and I, I would totally buy season three. I thought it was excellent. All right. Uh, best thing you saw this week was Booksmart. You already covered that. Uh, I, for what I watched this week, I tried Stranger Things. I couldn't do it. I don't know why. Maybe I'll give it another shot. Maybe I'm just paying you lip service, and I won't. We'll see. That remains <laughs> to be seen. Um, I, I started Billions. Season one. Yeah, I started the, the season one of Billions. I started that, and it's spectacular. And it's just a, a powerful people in giant dick measuring contests. It's Paul Giamatti yelling a lot, which always get ropes me in. I will say, Damian Lewis, who plays Bobby Axelrod, great name, great character name, Bobby Axelrod. I feel like he's about to spit at me every time he says anything ending in a B or a P. Do you feel like he's a secret agent? Uh, no. As he's, well as a billionaire? He's gone full and free. It is tough to buy him as like the, the Zuckerberg equivalent, which is kind of like... I think that's who they're kind of parroting, even though he's a Wall Street tycoon. But I, I don't know that he's completely believable in that role. Paul Giamatti, as like a stressed out AG, is completely believable in that role. All right, so how's the legalese? Because you're a lawyer. It's not bad. I, it hasn't really gotten to that point of anything happening yet. I've gotten like four episodes in, three or four episodes in. There's a lot of flirting with a lawsuit being brought. It's more about the politics that go on in a state law firm or okay. in the state law run section which i i've seen firsthand is absolutely a thing that does happen so as you can imagine so it's it's, it's kind of true to life on that and i appreciate that brian Kaufman is the writer one of the showrunners of, of the he's done an awesome job with a lot of stuff in his career he got me hooked on poker because he did rounders where i saw it during my four sure. years so i'm excited to see that so billions i'm in on stranger things i'm out on the U.S. women's national team I'm very much in on. I thought that was an awesome game. I watched the finals on Sunday morning. Megan Rapino, once she scored that first goal and put the U.S. up one nothing. first of all, I can totally understand why every other country hates us when it comes to athletics <laughs> because we do get every break in the world, it seems, every year, and it just goes our way. And that was a questionable call as to whether it should have been a penalty. It was a penalty. I mean, it should have been a penalty. Didn't they kick, review it? Was, it? I, I watched the, uh, yeah. the highlights because I was working during but that. But it didn't. I mean, her high kick didn't really have any impact on what happened with the play. But, yeah, it was a stupid penalty. They called it. It led to a penalty kick. Rapino hit it in. But she did this celebration that was just like what Randy Orton's been doing in the WWE for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And if the WWE doesn't bring her in to have a segment with Orton so they can do like a pose-off, I think that's a really missed opportunity on their part. <laughs> so like all things, it comes back to professional wrestling for me. So for my see by skip this week, I would skip Stranger Things. And I'm sorry, you can yell at me for that. I yell get at it. him. I understand Yell that. at him. I might give it another shot. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I would buy the U.S. Women's National Team. I think those women are, are awesome. And I would definitely see billions like I'm going to plan on keep doing. The best thing I saw this week, though, was the crazy, crazy free agency that happened in the NBA, if not for Rapino's penalty kick. Lunacy. Uh, Kawhi Leonard takes Paul George with him to the Clippers. I can't believe that. That was mayhem. Ca casually dropping at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning that Kawhi not only decided on the Clippers, eschewing the Lakers, but that he's convinced the Thunder to trade Paul George in the meantime with him to go to L.A. And the Clippers gave up more for Paul George than the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis. So here's my interpretation of it. Like the Knicks, I'm, I'm just in a Knicks universe. 
Like they traded seven. There's nothing to do with them. They traded essentially seven picks, the Clippers, right? They had five picks, yep. three of their own unprotected, the two Miami picks that they basically acquired, and then they have two pick swaps, which is essentially mm-hmm. two more picks. So the seven years of draft picks, or it might be five years of draft picks because he's got double picks. And two players, yeah. And then you got SGA, who's a great player. Yeah. Now, the Knicks, if they're able to trade their five previous draft picks, and that, but th- this point you're making is why it infuriates me when analysts are like, "Oh, well, they got SGA in that trade too, so that's basically another first round pick." No, it's fucking not, because once you spend the pick on a player, that's not a pick anymore. That's a player. Because would you rather have a Knicks first round pick right now, or would you rather have Kevin Knox in a trade? You'd probably rather have the pick. Probably is a very strong word that's misused right there. Absolutely. Absolutely you would. Like the Knicks, if they're trading for Russell Westbrook, like I wouldn't mind if they cleaned the, the cupboard out of Just all the... Just get rid of everything. The dreck that they Including R.J. Barrett? Dennis Smith, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox. Fuck the youth movement. Frank We've had Malikina, two summer league Kina. games. It's not working. None of them are any good. None of them are any good except maybe Mitchell Robinson, you know, half the time. But even he makes three dumb plays for one good one. Keep Brodzikis, he's the greatest player ever. Keep Mitchell Robinson, but otherwise, what the what do they do? But don't trade for Russell Ray, Westbrook, Knicks, and all in all serious, well, don't do it. It's gonna be either the Knicks or don't the Heat or the T Wolves. But why would the Heat get the trade? Because they're gonna ruin their own Miami picks if they do that. That's a good point. I mean, why would Oklahoma City do that? Yeah, they yeah. have the Miami no, that's a good picks point. now. That's a good point. I, I, it's just that it doesn't make sense. Russell Westbrook can only go to so many teams. It doesn't make sense for him to go to twenty nine teams, basically. All right, we got to get the hell out of yeah, here. Yeah, so we'll get we'll end with the NBA there, and we'll we'll keep it tight for you guys uh, this week. Let's move on to a box office update. We did have a full week of full of money moving hands with a couple new debuts that proved that the box office is not quite as dead as everyone would have you believe. Yeah, Spider Man Far From Home had a ninety three point six million dollar weekend. A $185 million week domestically, plus a $395 international take thus far for a $580 total coming into Monday morning. Yeah, the weekend also was up twenty more than 25% over the same weekend last year. That's important to note because we've had a couple down weeks in a row here at the box office. Far From Home did an estimated $25.2 million on July 4th alone. It's interestingly enough, I looked this up. This is the sixth July fourth since Independence Day of '04 that either a Spider-Man movie or a Transformers movie led the domestic box office on the day we celebrate the birth of this nation because they've had three of those each. Three July fourths where yeah. that franchise was the leader in the box office. So July fourth belongs to either robots that can transform or a, a, a teenager slinging around New York City. Yeah, the the crossover family hits. <laughs> Kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hope those movies never cross over. That would be terrible. <laughs> the $25.2 million this Spider-Man movie is being attributed for with the 4th of July would make it the second most money a film ever pulled in on the 4th of July date to the Transformers' original debut showing in 2007, where they did $29 million on that July 4th. And Far From Home also did an estimated $27 million on Wednesday, July 3rd. That's actually the most lucrative Wednesday at the domestic box office for the MCU ever in any film, regardless, the 185 million that it did open with domestically total in the weekend is about six million dollars short of age of ultron which would have put spider-man far from home as in, in the top five mcu openings ever so it's number six so it's a big win for marvel big win for disney and sony we reviewed it we we really enjoyed it so i wouldn't say it's a rave review but we were very positive the more i think Spider-Man. about it 
the lo- the, the the lower I'm getting on it. To be honest with you, really, it's, it's you went back the yeah, low again. It is. It is. I'm I'm yeah. just infuriated with how with some way certain well, things went. Thanks down. for taking a huge dump on our beautiful review. You're welcome. Go ahead. Toy Story <laughs> Four, Mike. You have anything you know dumps you want to take on this one? Yeah, this is a really sad movie. <laughs> it reminded me. Yeah. No, Toy Story Four had a 34.3 million dollar weekend. Now has a 306 million dollar domestic total, a 343 international cum for a 649.9 million dollar take thus far. I don't know if that thing's going to get to a billion. Yeah, probably not. Nah, that doesn't look good for its odds. That's kind probably of not. shocking, I would say. Well, it's going to make a lot of money for Pixar, sure. for Disney. Sure. I do understand why the sequel fatigue is kind of basically infecting everything. It's like... We're Didn't in infect Haw- Spider-Man. We're in Hawkins right now. Yeah, I mean, it affected a little bit. How? 185? I mean, 185 for a Spider-Man movie? For an opening? That's... Well, you think it, you have a really good movie coming out off Avengers? It would, it might have done better. I, I'm just saying I, these sequels are not doing better than their predecessors. They're no, they're, they're 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 not. I I mean, this Spider-Man movie did, though, is my point overall. But yeah, overall, you're right. The Men in Blacks, the Toy Story fours, yeah. even have failed at the box office. We are suffering from sequelitis. as a lot of fails a strong word because they're making money. Uh, yeah, like they're they're, they're, fa- they're they failing to overperform. Right. Like uh, a lot of these tent poles are hoped to do. Right. All right. Yesterday came in third with a ten point seven million dollar weekend. Those totals are thirty six slash twenty now for a fifty six million dollar worldwide total on a twenty six million dollar budget. There. That's gonna, not going to make money. It's ba- it's almost there. Two and a half times. It's getting there. Yeah. It'll 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 break even to make a little bit, yeah. and it'll make money on video. I think that's better than what it what they expected. Weird movie, weird weird concept for a movie. And now we have that Born in the USA or Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen movie that's also gotten the green light. All these like weird movie properties are going forward. Thanks, Remy Malik. I wonder if they had Beatles in the title, maybe they would do better. But it was spelled B E E T L E S, and it was just a bug. That'd be funny. No. <laughs> Annabelle Comes Home came in fourth with a $9.7 million weekend, 50 domestic, 84 international, 134.7 cum there. It's course correction for the Conjuring universe. We talked about it. We reviewed it. We both were were high on that, and we appreciated what they did. Coming off the nun, that was kind of a stinker, and it made money. It just, I think when that happens, the the follow-up movie, even if it's better in terms of reviews... People just have that bad taste in their mouth, yeah. and it's not going to help the box office on the next one. Whereas coming out of Avengers Endgame, everybody loved that. Right. So that, that really helps. Really helps. Yeah, it, sure, it certainly Spider-Man. does. When the predecessor, when the predecessor does well and sets up the expectations for yeah. that question. Aladdin, seven point six million dollar weekend and fifth, thir- three twenty domestic total, six hundred international, nine twenty one. Worldwide take right now. Going to have a lot to say about some other Disney live action properties as we go on down the list later on here today in MMO Weekly. Yeah, a lot to say. Mulan and uh, Little Mermaid. And And Maleficent. Wow, three. And then Midsummer came in sixth. Midsummer, $6.5 million for the weekend, 10.9 total on a $7 million budget. You know, comparing it to the budget, it's fine, and we'll see what it does overseas. But it's not a great take for Midsummer. No, it's not. And it's actually significantly less than even the weekend opening of Hereditary. And that shows you the difference of what something like Sundance and having a potential Oscar-worthy performance like Tony Collette did. Just that word of mouth alone brought Hereditary to almost a $14 million opening over a three-day. Midsummer here does barely $11 million on a five-day opening. That's a little disconcerting. I will say that was probably one of the most fun 
horror movie reviews we've ever done. Yeah. One of the most fun studies. So, yeah, go back and listen to that. I think we're ready for some audience interaction. Yeah, let's go on to some audience interaction here. We're going Tom Holland and for this week's Six Degrees of MMO to Ari Aster in celebration of both Spider-Man and Midsummer there. But you had to go through the Mueller Report, which had a live Broadway <laughs> showing, basically. It was a stage play adaptation. A bunch of A-list stars reenacting the Mueller Report in a play titled The Investigation. So we got two efficiency awards. You want to give out no efficiency awards. This is not efficient. Five is not efficient. <laughs> we asked them to go through a, uh, a holy government document. Listen, for as great as our listeners have been <laughs> with every six degrees, right, for like the year we've been doing this now, I get to chastise them one time for failing me. <laughs> and I'm just amazed that they got this done at all. Because I, th- I, I, it is impressive. I mean, I, I, I don't argue with you. They did do a great job. They were very creative as usual, but it's not efficient. At Talk Zone Radio gets the traditional efficiency award, despite what Mike One says here. Tom Holland was in Avengers Endgame with Brie Larson, who was in Captain Marvel with Annette Benning, who was in a live stage performance of the Mueller Report with John Lithgow. Of course, was in Daddy's Home too with Mark Wahlberg. who <laughs> was in Patriot's Day with Alex Wolf, who was in Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. Way too many links in that chain. You should be ashamed of yourself, Talk Zone Radio. No, thank you very much. Great job. <laughs> Jay Skipworth also gets the Efficiency Award this week. I guess he gets the Burner Award, we'll call it. Tom Holland from London, which was destroyed by a fire in 1666. <laughs> Robert Mueller, who compiled the Mueller Report, which unveiled the dumpster fire. That is the Trump fiasco, so he's linking it by fire there. Our <laughs> Aster directed Hereditary, where a character is indeed destroyed by a fire, and fire connects them all. The so, Burner Award. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And that's more. That's pretty efficient. That's not bad. That's not bad. He, he talks in like Yoda with his links and going backwards, making me look through them. I don't want to do work, is what I'm talking here. That's my problem. <laughs> all right, so we got the Holy Shit Award. <laughs> Holy Shit, he went there. Award. Excuse mm-hmm. me. The Cinema Guys at the Cinema Guys says. Tom Holland is in Infinity War with Dave Bautista, who was in WWE's WrestleMania 23 that also had an appearance from Donald Trump. It did. Which the Mueller Report is about. Mm-hmm. WWE also has Paige as a wrestler, who the amazing Florence Pugh portrayed, and she is in Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. I appreciate those links. I feel like that was done specifically for Wrestling me. <laughs> with Trump. Holy shit. Yeah, it was a hair versus hair match. Trump and Vince McMahon put their hair on the line in WrestleMania 23. I cannot believe this. These Imagine how different exist. history could have been. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the left of the Twin Peaks David Lynch Award goes to Mark Burgundy this week at the One Hanson. Frequent flyer, frequent winner in the last couple weeks, as a matter yeah, of fact. Yeah, I had to mention them all here. Uh, Tom Holland was in Endgame with Mark Ruffalo, who read a portion of the Mueller Report, which was submitted on March 22nd, the same day in history as All Shook Up was released, which was covered by Dolly Parton, who was in an episode of The Simpsons, Tony Collette also was in an episode of The Simpsons. She, of course, was with Ari Aster in Hereditary. That's awesome. That's a great job. <laughs> Connected by a date. So it's the left of the Twin Peak. Yeah. We're getting it's to the left a, peak. We're getting to a point which is where I always wanted the original inception of this came from. Was I just want like a link that's just 
a suggestion, basically. Like, you, you could be sitting on your couch and throw out something, and you're like, yeah, that, that, that'll work. Put it in. It's a great writing exercise. I wonder if all these people are better writers than you and I, because I think they are. Probably. The right of the Twin Peaks David Lynch Award goes to Swamp Thing at Wojcik Weischer. Uh, Tom Holland based his performance in Spider-Man on Michael J. Fox, who had a TV show with two episodes directed by Scott Ellis, who was responsible for the investigation about their Mueller report, the stage play, which starred John Malkovich, who's in Velvet Buzzsaw with Tony Collette in Hereditary with Ari Aster. I still have not seen Velvet Buzzsaw, have you? Yes. You have? It's it's good. I, I had pro- my problems with it. It's yeah. funny. It's crazy. It's kind of an in- interesting thing to watch. I didn't love it. I you like Jake Gyllenhaal more in Velvet Buzzsaw or Spider-Man? Oh, Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. 100%. Winner this week has been a winner before. Robert Doherty at Robert Doc 1984. Uh, he has Tom Holland was in Endgame with Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson was in Goodfellas with Joe Pesci, which I did not remember and had to look up to verify that yeah. it was true. Pesci was in Home Alone 2 with Mueller subject Trump, which we were actually reviewed not too long ago this past Christmas season. Trump appointed Steve Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin produced Central Intelligence, which starred The Rock, a.k.a. Dwayne Johnson, who's in Jumanji with Alex Wolf, who was in Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. So anytime you can go through, what is Steve Mnuchin here, the, the, the Secretary of... Uh, I have no uh, idea. Corrupt Finances, I think. I cannot believe he found a chain <laughs> that went through only people. Like, that's the hardest thing, in my opinion. That's a good point, yeah. I just think degree of difficulty, Robert Doc gets it this week because he actually took the game the way it's supposed to be played <laughs> and just knocked it out of the park. Like, he was that old traditional team. He's the Mavericks, he's the Spurs, he's the classic Oscar winner, he's whatever you want to call it. Yeah. He's Meryl Streep he's winning John Wayne. Oscar this yeah. week. He's John, yeah, John Wayne Oscar winner for I'll John Ford. I'll tell you something, Pilgrim. He just took the game back to the six degrees of Kevin Bacon origins, and he crushed it. He also ruined the movie Central Intelligence for me with the Secretary <laughs> of the Treasury there. So Robert Doherty, a.k.a. Robert Doc 1984, you are the winner of six degrees of MMO this week. You get to sit on the Iron Throne, which is, of course, made of rusty hangers painted blue with the pinwheels on top and it's probably got some kind of jet propulsion in the back so it can go and like like the way i'm picturing it now is you know those those bayou floater things that are down in the swamps of, of louisiana that they float on and they can like go they propel it's where you hunt gators on it's like basically a bed with a fan in the back oh one of those yeah that's our chair now. so it's in the bayou it's in the swamp right is it in the movie Crawl? <laughs> maybe. Is that the, in the swamp? Maybe Deliverance. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, you are the winner, Robert Doc, this week. Uh, you get all the bragging rights of all things Six Degrees of MMO related. Michael, what do we have for them for a challenge next week? I'm going to take the best thing I watched this week, and we're going to connect it to the best thing you watched yeah. this week. We're going to go Olivia Wilde, who is the director of Booksmart, mm-hmm. and we're going to go to Megan Rapino. <laughs> <laughs> who was the star the, the, the she won an award for the uh... she won the golden boot she was the the most prolific yes. goal scorer for the women's world cup this year she also led team usa to the world cup win they're back to back champions now so olivia wilde to Megan Rapino, that is your challenge. <laughs> Megan Rapino has not been in any movies, I don't think. No, so you're gonna have a hard time. But with she's this rubbed one. shoulders with famous people very recently, okay. so you can go. You should have fun on Twitter with that one, and we'll go on to some uh, trailer thoughts. Is where we'll go next. Trailer thoughts. 
couple big trailers that debuted in every week we pass. Now we're getting closer and closer to the Oscar season and a lot more trailers coming out every week that are going to cover some big, big movies. This was no different. We get our first look at Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. I watched this trailer probably like 15 times because every time I find something new to obsess over and I think it's just fantastic and I it's love the great. cast. Is this cracking like an Oscars duck, though? I can't decide because it's a great cast, like I said. It's a director that couldn't be hotter. It's got a perfect release date, but yet it seems like, like, when's the last time a whodunit was considered at the Oscars? I think it's more commercial-leaning than Oscar-leaning. However, this is up there with trailer of the year for me thus far. Yeah. Like, if I'm given my golden trailer award, this is a great trailer. This cast is far too good not to get some award season chatter so i do think at the end of the day we're going to talk about whoever is the sleeper star of this production if it's tony collette if it's uh christopher Plummer, whoever it is we're going to get a little momentum from them and then of course ryan johnson's screenplays are very well respected right so he's got a shot for best original screenplay i think if he just nails this one which i'm really hoping he does this trailer is a great indication a great omen for it he says this movie is an agatha christie style whodunit he, he those are his words he's also a man who described his first mystery movie which was brick which we both talked about Loved previously it. and enjoyed as a dashiell hammett style detective movie so this is a guy that's familiar with the artistic stylings of turn-of-the-century mystery writers and it seems to be his time to to shine in his moment in the sun i'm I, this is one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I hope you're right. It's also nice to see some characters play against type, like Chris Evans goes from Captain America to just being a dick in this trailer, which I really appreciated. Jamie Lee Curtis goes from Laurie Strode to being like a hoity-toity, high and mighty, it seems like. Mike, when's the last time, and don't say murder mystery, <laughs> that somebody has nailed a original whodunit? Scream. Yeah, I, like 1996, I would, I would well, like a, argue. like a big budget right. who done it. I understand that adaptations have been made for Murder on the Orient sure. Express, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's others out there, but this is an original script that it must have taken him forever to to work through, and only a guy as talented as Ryan Johnson could probably do it nowadays. I, I just think he's asking for trouble with one of these, and for him to have the confidence. And for the, this cast of Chris Evans, who's great, and Michael Shannon, uh, yeah. Tony Collette, Christopher Plummer, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Craig. My God. And, and Does it worry you that there's maybe too many stars, though? Like it's, it could border on ensemble? Absolutely not. It is an ensemble, and I'm all about it because they're all getting their moments in a two-minute trailer. I hope it's not a murder version of Valentine's they Day. They all you know? look so <laughs> suspicious, though. It's perfect. It's but great. Really? It, it's a fantastic trailer. I couldn't agree more. And I can't wait to see this movie. I pray. You know, let's have fun at the Oscars this year instead of surrounding it in controversy like it has been for the last like five straight. Mm -hmm. Let's just nominate fun movies that we all enjoy and we all enjoyed watching that aren't knockoffs of Beauty and the Beast mixed with the, the fucking creature from the Black Lagoon. Let's not do that anymore, all right? Those not its moments. Cats and... Yeah, yeah Harriet's too serious. <laughs> now, of course, the Harriet's are Harriet's fine. There. Cats, we can keep out. We've done cats already. We've seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm Nobody's seen it. Everybody says they've seen it. I've never seen it. Fuck cats, is what I'm saying. I'm a dog person. <laughs> Mike, next trailer. What the hell just <laughs> happened? All right, Jubaji, the next level... 
I take it back, Mike. This might be the, <laughs> my favorite trailer of the year. I saw this, and the first thing I thought was just, son of a bitch. I was mad that they <laughs> yeah. thought of this before they us. They figured out a way to turn this into a never-ending franchise, and it's genius. genius. What they do is they have basically just, they're going to hire different actors that are going to be the players of this Jumanji video game, and we're going to have Jack Black and Karen Gillan and The Rock and Kevin Hart just do their impressions of these older actors and actresses and it's going to be fucking genius and it's going to make a shitload of money and I'm pissed that we didn't think of it first. We're going to have The Rock <laughs> doing an impersonation of Danny DeVito. It's great. I've gonna... watched that for three days, never mind an hour and a half. Kevin Hart doing an impersonation of Danny freaking Glover. It's great. And, he's, and Kevin Hart's, by the way, is spot on. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, the, the Rock's trailer. border's on offensive, but Kevin Hart's is right on. I talk about high concept, but it, that's not the only great thing about this trailer. The blockbuster goods look great. Everything looks great. The first one made a billion dollars almost on a $90 million budget, so whether you want to see this or not, and whether you appreciate the cosplaying of different characters and the imitation game that we're getting or not, it's going to happen probably for another two or three movies at least, so you might as well find something to embrace about it. I think they used some of the money they made because the animals look Lion King-esque. Yeah. You have the action looking terrific. You have it staged in these crazy scenarios where they're going over those bridges. Wow, it's just ingenious. This is going to make $2 billion. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be news. <laughs> Jacob's Ladder also came out, our first look at the remake from the 1990 horror film. So we're certainly in a world of horror remakes that are basically exact retellings of the old stories. This one's kind of a break from that. This is not, at least from what we saw in this trailer, it's not quite, it doesn't look like anyway, the exact same plot of the Tim Robbins classic from 1990. That's interesting to me. I have some concerns about the trailer overall, but what do you think? So I remember disliking the original movie. I just... I wasn't crazy about it myself. I never went back to study it. I thought it was, you know, about PTSD. It was fitting and timely when I watched it during the, you know, Iraq and mm -hmm. Afghanistan wars, but... It was prophetic in a way. I just, I don't remember liking it. Here, I'm kind of in to see this cast. Like, Michael Ely is a much better actor than his filmography at this point. Like, he's been in a lot of TV. I loved him in the Barbershop movies. I think he was in more than one, but definitely the first one. Uh, I think uh, he's been good on TV, so I'm excited to see what he does in a starring role, and he looks great in his trailer. I think he does a nice job. Jeff Bueller is one of the credited writers. He was also credited with the screenplay to the Pet Cemetery remake, which had some pivotal changes as well to its source material, and we appreciated most of those. It'd be nice if he can do the same here. I don't know. I, it at sometimes bordered on a little cheesy to me too, but I do think there is enough of a, we've come in far enough, I should say, as a society where if you're going to make a movie that can have an impactful statement to say about PTSD, I think now's a great time to do it because with social media and how open it could actually make a, a big change in some people's lives and it could spur some some good in the world. Absolutely. So I'm all for that. It's I just a hope it's handled right. Yeah. yeah, right. Which I, just I makes some sense well. too. I think yeah. the genre fits. I think the timing fits. Uh, let's see. Let's yeah. see it, and we'll uh, we'll review it at some point. Mulan, Mike. This is the big trailer that dropped late last night, correct? Yeah, it dropped sometime Sunday. It might have been during the night. I'm getting my days blended together. I can't think. <laughs> is it a weekday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, the first live action Disney preview or movie at all that I don't hate. And I actually was pretty high on it. I think dumping the the probably racist cartoon Komodo Dragon sidekick is a good call. Uh, as is turning this into like a war film. 
basically drama. It's drama, action, drama kind of remake. Yeah, I'm, this is the first time I'm actually excited for a Disney live action remake. Now that being said, there was some great music in the original Mulan. Yes. It, I think it won uh, best original song. It was definitely nominated. Right, yeah. But there's no cartoon monsters or sidekicks. This is a serious remake, and it's something Disney had done before with the Jungle Book that they really cashed in on with 101 Dalmatians. They had, uh, you know, the Glenn Close version. Mm-hmm. They had a string of these back when in the 90s, right. early 2000s. So this is interesting because I think it's the right move for this franchise. Like if you just did a cartoon monster or cartoon dragon, you know, live action dragon with real people, it would take away from the the strong storyline. I think the best thing about Mulan is the strong story. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your assessment there. And also, you don't want this to be Roger Rabbit. You know, you don't want it to be about the relationship between a girl and her yeah. pet Komodo dragon sidekick. But let's talk Make about... Make this yeah. about a powerful feminist movie. Let's talk yeah. about this trailer. I, it was Goosebump City for yeah. me. The simple dichotomy of her at kind of the finishing school stages of her life as a young girl. How to be a lady. She's learning it from her family and whomever. And then she's also on the sly training to fight. And yeah. then you see her in war. We, we all know the story. So that's incredible. I, I was just like... Wow, yeah. this is working on me. It's a simple concept for the trailer, and they're crushing it. I think it's very important, and there's some cinematography in this trailer that is just, I mean, the camera is turning around and, and changing the perspective of the world. It's awesome. I think it's important to get this one right, and I think if Disney can get this one right, which it looks like it's on the track to do, this could be the biggest live-action one they've done yet because you're going to have, obviously, the appeal to the Asian markets with this story. It basically writes itself, and if they can make a great film on top of it, it's only going to do gangbusters even more so over there. So I think this could be a massive, massive moneymaker, certainly globally, for Disney. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it looks great. It's a great first impression left on me. Now, first impressions can go either way. The Maleficent <laughs> 2 trailer 2, we weren't big on the Trailer one. Yeah. Uh, I th- like the fact that they were setting up Sleeping Beauty as the third film. I still like that fact. Okay. You saw the first Maleficent, right? Yes, I did. So, Maleficent is raising Sleeping Beauty? She's her surrogate mother? Yeah. What? <laughs> you gotta watch the first movie. It's your problem. That's a you problem. <laughs> now you have the teenage rebellion plot line, and then she's gonna put her to sleep. <laughs> and turn it to a dragon when the boy comes. <laughs> Isn't his name literally Prince Charming? I don't remember. I think it's just the prince. The but prince. I, I could be wrong. But I, wait, so... <laughs> time out. Wait. You're calling the time out. Buddy. So, Maleficent is like an adopted mother to Sleeping Beauty? She's a godmother? This She's... is not my job to teach, <laughs> to, to go back through the last movie and to catch you up. This, this is, is not my job. This is parenting, is my point. This is this goes from a movie about a protagonist and an antagonist to, like, room. <laughs> this is a terrifying movie now. It's kind of scary. I mean, it's about the rise of the antagonist, right? I mean, yeah. it's about the antagonist, so she's got to turn heel at the end of it. Like, she was a conquering hero right. in the first movie. I think she'll still kind of be a conquering hero of this one to the point where they'll, like, have her defeat Michelle Pfeiffer, who's the other queen right. in this, and Michelle Pfeiffer's going to do bad things, so you'll have the lesser of two evils win this thing. But she'll also be in such a tiff with her surrogate teenage daughter that she puts her to sleep. <laughs> I got to go watch that first movie, because <laughs> I, I saw that in this one, and I was like, 
What are you talking about? <laughs> so, how about this trailer? The action looks okay. I thought the action looked, yeah, the action looks okay. I understand you have some downsides that you're going to talk about, but I thought it looked okay. And I thought the artistry of it, the aesthetics of it, very Costumes. colorful, powerful. Yeah, they, the colors popped. Those explosions, you're having a battle in the daytime, and for whatever reason, they turned to like pink dust. Right. I thought that was striking, a striking visual. Costumes, like you said, I thought were spot on. Angelina They're, Jolie's got that war costume or whatever that dress is. Oh she my was born goodness. to be Maleficent. I mean, she is Maleficent. She's not Angelina Jolie anymore. But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Regal, totally makes sense. But there is some down to it. There's some bad. Why does it end with more Maleficences? Maleficide. Maleficide? <laughs> like, why? I don't... Uh, listen. Like, if they were there the whole time, aren't we going to be mad at them? Like, I think I've Doctor Strange thing? I think I've established that I'm not the person you should be asking these questions to. <laughs> He's like, By the way, we've been up here the whole time. <laughs> yes. We've been in the clouds. and I mean, I guess you do need a twist to, like, cement her as, as turning heel, and you need somebody to, like, propel her to the dark. But I guess I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know either. I have a lot of questions about this movie. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Do You Care? I've gotta know Do you care? And why should we? This is the Do You Care segment. This is where we take other news stories of the week and we ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them the way we start? Every Do You Care segment is I ask my dear friend, also Mike here, if he is excited at all for the upcoming theatrical releases this week. We have Crawl and Stuber opening nationwide on July 12th. We also have The Art of Self-Defense and The Farewell opening limited. I have a feeling you're going to like the limited more than the nationwide ones, but do you care about any of them? I do like the limited because I'm really into the farewell. I yeah. thought that trailer was Cosine. quacking like an Oscar duck. But I'm also in for crawl. I'm a little dubious. Why? Why is anyone excited about this? Because you have good filmmakers. You have Sam Raimi who's producing. You have some of the Don't Breathe people, the the crewmen who are involved. I don't I don't know if it's the writer director. It's not the writer director because that was he just did a movie that we didn't like. Right. Bottom line, we have goods that could be here now why are these alligators so hungry i don't get that why is there so much water everywhere and why are people in it's it? a hurricane okay a premise <laughs> all right look i'm in for all four of these movies i'll probably see all four of them they're they're all getting good buzz yeah. stuber looks funny the art of self-defense how is it a dark comedy which just seems like a dark movie that we, we're into yeah we reviewed that trailer either last week or the week before it was bizarre I don't get the whole alligator thing, but I do have an alligator story. So I'm, I'm, I'm spring break mm -hmm. going to my friend's grandfather's house in Florida, I think my junior year of college, mm -hmm. and we're going to Yaya and Papu's, Greek grandparents. <laughs> we go out jet skiing one day. I had no idea that there was going to be two jet, or three jet skis for four people. Mm -hmm. So my friend gets one, my friend's brother gets one. And I'm basically holding on to an 80-year-old Papu or 75-year-old Papu who's on the other jet ski. So this is my day. Uh -huh. so it's like, fine, I'm probably not great at ele electronics. I'm not great at driving things. It's just not who I am. So it's probably for the best. So it's me on uh, holding on to Papu this whole time. Mike, there are alligators throughout these rivers that we're driving these jet skis on. They're, they're like 10 feet away, 20 feet away. We're running them over. This whole time, there's like 20 footers that are just swimming. No, that's, I'm, I'm out. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I'm freaking the hell out. And we're all just like, oh my God, there's alligators. To the point where like, I couldn't believe these people. I couldn't believe the 75-year-old man doing this to us. 
I guess they don't eat during the day was the moral of the story. Mike, there was a point where there were a bunch of women just in, you know, the water on the side of the river. Because, like, everybody's got their boats out there. They're just hanging out. It's a day at the beach, day by the river. And there's all these women just, like, whatever in the water. And I look 20 feet away, and there's a bunch of alligators on the shore. I'm like, Papu, what the hell are those women doing? And he's like, don't worry, my boy. He's a man-eating alligators. Those women are fine. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I know! Florida people, what the hell? It was, this a, great, goes, it was a great trip. This goes back to my, my original stance of we need to cut Florida out of the union. <laughs> All right? There's no need for this. You can't be water skiing over alligators and just acting like it's totally copacetic. So that's my whole thing. My one experience <laughs> with alligators... They don't eat during the day, apparently. They only that eat sounds like such bullshit science. <laughs> ah, they're fine. They don't eat during the day. Okay. So I get all the night scenes of Crawl. I just don't get all the day scenes of Crawl. <laughs> then you're fine to run over them with your skis, you see. It was, it was like giant trees in the water. Oh, piss them off at all. I just I left with a bathing suit full of poop and pee because yeah. I pooped myself. <laughs> What's that smell, said Papu? Nothing. Nothing. Terrible. It must be the alligators. <laughs> Can't be. They don't eat during the day. Anyway. Mike Tarantino says he's going to retire after 10 films. He's even saying in this Collider article or anywhere uh, online, you can read him saying that if this ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is received the way he hopes it will be, I guess, I'm guess i guessing he wants an Oscar campaign, he wants a bunch of Oscars at the end of that night, he may not even make a 10th yeah. film. All right. What do you think about this? Here's what I think. Can we stop covering Hollywood elites saying when they plan on retiring? Like, just in the last year and a half, we've had Daniel Day-Lewis retiring for, like, his sixth time total, at least. We've had Robert Redford retire, saying that The Old Man and the Gun would be his last picture until the reviews came out and he realized he needed to save the retirement tour for a better movie to be an effective Oscar campaigning tactic. And don't get me started on the musical elites, like... Cher and Elton John have had more farewell tours than I've had years of actual employment, right? So, stop! Stop with the retirement. So, as far as Tarantino goes now, there's the whole Star Trek thing that looms over all of this. Yeah. So, we're going to believe that, okay, if if he wants to retire after Hollywood, that means he's not going to do the Star Trek thing at all, which I don't buy. Or that his 10th film will be Star Trek and that he's going to leave on somebody else's terms like the most creative one of the most creative and inventive american directors and writers of all time is going to wrap up his career doing the work of another franchise that he didn't come up with i don't buy that he's always said that he was going to make 10 films that's what he said when he started he's like i've been studying he has been saying that a long time the arcs of filmmakers for a long time and a lot of my favorites their work declines in their later years because they can't give it up because they don't have anything new to say. To me, Star Trek by Quentin Tarantino would be something new for him and it would be something new for the industry and he really could elevate that genre, which is the hardest one ever to elevate because it is making so much money nowadays. I don't disagree with anything you said about about his involvement with Star Trek, but... Right. I, I don't doubt he plans on taking a break after this film or film 10 or whatever. Like, I don't doubt he plans on walking away. I don't think we need to go into the stupid idea that every time somebody wants to walk away and take a few years off, they're retiring. I think that's... How insulting is that to people who have been working all their lives and, and can like are just trying to make ends meet here? I, I think that's a little much. He should do a shoot 'em up for Kill Bill 3 as well. 
I, I think well, there's a billion things he should do. He should do, and he, wa- he wants to do a bunch of. What's interesting about well. the Collider? I, I read it on the Hollywood Reporter. You read right. it on Collider, but what's interesting about that article is Brad Pitt comes out and he drops a quote saying the same things he's been saying all along. Tarantino's been saying all along. He apparently said to Brad Pitt as well, and that's. He knows when directors hit their slide. He knows that the, there's a declining performance with directors. He's very aware of that. So if you're going to support the notion that he is going to retire, that's one feather in your cap. That's certainly a strong argument is that he's had this viewpoint and he keeps hammering it and hammering it. But the ego that Tarantino has, and we know it's attached to him because of all the work we're doing with the Tarantino rewatchers, which has been one of the most fruitful endeavors that I think we've ever done, to be honest with you. We're learning a whole bunch along the way. Unless that 10th film actually becomes the first Star Trek movie to win Best Picture and gross a billion dollars, there's no way that's going to be it. I just don't buy it. We're assuming that's going to be his 10th film. If that's his 10th film, yes. I have no idea. It might be Kill Bill 3. It might be something new. Now, here's my caveat with all of this. If Once Upon a Time in Hollywood lives up to the 9.6 it has on IMDb right now, and if it's the greatest picture ever, and if it does a Silence of the Lamb and sweeps the big five, then yeah. I could totally see him walking away and saying, what more do I have to accomplish? I could see it. I can honestly see it because because he's been saying it for 25 Agreed. years. But I don't, he, there's no way he actually leaves the business without a Best Director Oscar. It just doesn't happen. I cannot, I can't fathom it. With his ego, the man wanted to write himself as Pime, for Christ's sake. <laughs> All right? There's no way he leaves the industry without one Best Director Oscar. You could totally see him winning screenplay again. Yes. And then and having all these nominations yep. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and something like Harriet winning the whole thing, and then he comes into you know he, t- he says oh, that's probably it Sour Grapes yeah. right oh absolutely and then he'll a couple of years your later yep. he'll come out with his tenth film we'll be really excited about it and then after that performs however it does you can see him say okay I know like filmmakers decline all right and I think that <laughs> I wanted to overcome that. I wanted to overcome that. Right. He turns, he spins that, yeah. And they decline, all right? All right? All right? (laughs) I wanted to overcome it. It's a great Tarantino impression. In my head. Why haven't you worked with Uma? Um, (laughs) Again, though, no. I'm not buying this retirement argument. I, I, I will buy He Leaves. I absolutely, and whatever happens with the Academy this year. What's Daniel Day-Lewis doing right now? Exactly. What is he doing? Is he really retired or is he learning how to make (laughs) shoes? Yes. This is the point I'm making. Like, these guys have afforded themselves the luxury of being able to walk away, but don't patronize us and say that it's over. We know it's not. Nothing's ever over. Joe Pesci walked away for the longest time. That's a great point. And look at where he is right now. (laughs) Yeah, so stop it, Quentin. Unless, of course, again... This movie sweeps. Then, then see you ya. get it. Then see ya. <laughs> All right, Mike. J.A. Bayona will direct The Lord of the Rings, the much-anticipated series for Amazon Prime. Do you care about this? I do. I've been a J.A. Bayona fan since uh, we had a moment at that screening of El Orfanato, <laughs> the, uh, otherwise known as The Orphanage. Yes. So I'm happy to see a bona fide Hollywood blockbuster director spearheading yeah, that's this. Yeah, really cool. I was not a big fan of Penny Dreadful, the Josh Hartnett show. Yeah, I never I only, watched it. I only watched the first episode, so I didn't really give it a chance. Mm-hmm. So if you're a big fan of that, I know it ran for a while on Showtime. Uh, but look, I think Lord of the Rings, they're sticking to their roots. You have a director who cut his teeth on horror movies in Biona, just like Peter Jackson did. Peter Jackson was a horror film direction, mm-hmm. director. When they decided to remake the Hobbit movies, they chose Guillermo del Toro. Again, horror film, worked into more big-budget stuff. This fits 
with what they've been doing. You have Bayona, who's done big blockbusters that have hit with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We had our problems with that, but he does a nice job with bigger budgets. And he's also got horror movie good. So you got that edge. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. This is a guy who, who has an edge to him. And I think he loves the material. He grew up on it. He, he I'm excited for it. He's going to direct the first two episodes and then, you know, do his showrunner thing with it. And you would think they would give him... Pl- I mean, this is a huge series. I'm sure he's going to have plenty of money at his disposal. They're going to throw tons Abs- of resources absolutely. into this. So, so I'm, 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 I'm excited. Yeah. I, I think you speak... You echo the sentiments of all Lord of the Rings and Tolkien fans out there. Mike, Movie Pass halts their service over the July 4th weekend. <laughs> right. Can we say our, I told you so here? Well, listen, <laughs> I don't care because I'm going to be 100% honest here. I saw this story and was shocked they were still operating as a business. Look, let us know out there if you still yes. use Movie Pass and it still works for you. Because yes. I'm very curious. And and not only that, but the the website, if you go to moviepass.com, that screen that they have in their website about changes are being made and we're improving and blah, blah, that's been up for like two years, at least the times I've checked. So I I thought this thing was dead and buried, and now it seems to be, or at least it's, it's taken one gigantic step towards, do I care? No, I, I don't. I, I haven't cared since they said I couldn't have a movie ticket a day for the price of one. Yeah. Those lying bastards. So we'll care if you send us our, your stories about Yeah, I want to know if you've been in it for the, for the last two years. And if you've been making on the deal yeah. or if they've been screwing you over. We want to know. Let us know. Well, we have a microphone here. Yeah, certainly uh, interested to hear anything that went on with Movie Pass. And, uh, we've been out for a while, so I would love to hear how it's been going in the interim. Number five here, Mike. Singer Haley Berry is Disney's live-action Ariel for The Little Mermaid. Look, I don't want to make light of this story, but this was a very strange story for me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get it at first. It went over my head. When I first saw the hashtag, I was like, are they mad at an unknown actress getting the role? Are they mad that she doesn't have red hair? Like the actual actress? I mean, you know there's wigs, right? I'm like, what the fuck are they mad about? Yeah. And I am an idiot. Well, no, you, you're the optimist there. Like, you, you, Of course this isn't an issue anyone should be upset about, so why would you even think of it? It, it didn't even dawn on me i was like what the hell are they mad about yeah well they're mad because they're racists (laughs) i can't believe the audacity of these people it's it's just gonna happen anytime there's any kind of transgendered or transracial happening with a live action adaptation she was historically white who gives a shit she's not real my God, I saw somebody, I put this on Twitter, somebody was like, I don't think you would like it if Optimus Prime was casted to be played by Idris Elba. Like, what? Fine, <laughs> Idris Elba's one of the best voice actors going. Of course we would like it. I'd like, sign me up immediately. He but... is crushing it as a voice actor. <laughs> With villainous voice actors, he's a likable villain yeah. in, the, in the, oh my God, the, what idiots. So, so They're just racist. That's the bottom line, right? That is the bottom This is a great job by Disney. I love this casting. I don't know a lot about her, but I'm a fan of the casting. Uh, great job by film Twitter, too. A lot of the, the, the accounts and, and pods that we talk to and associate with, yeah. they were all in favor of this. They're all speaking glowingly about it. They're all having the same takes, and I don't think that's by accident that we associate ourselves with these people. Look, this girl, if, if she's not Halle Berry's daughter, Halle Berry. <laughs> I don't know if she is or not. I have no idea. She may be terrible as Ariel, and if she's terrible, we'll let you know. Right. After we review, she might be great. I have no idea. She's an unknown actress, and she's adorable. She's cute as a button. Right. And she's going to play Ariel as, like, an age-appropriate Ariel. She's 15. If your argument involves the words historically accurate, you're a racist. (laughs) 
in this case, because historically accurate means historically white, and that means you have a problem with it not being white. In many cases, that's true. I look. I mean, you can make an like. I thought the argument was she didn't have red hair. I thought the argument was she's not a thirty year old. I wish. Yeah. Like that. That, that makes more sense. Honestly, than uh, to be upset about what their people are upset about here. But isn't Ariel young in the in the story yes, too? Of course. So who cares? What so the hell stupid. are we doing? It's such a non-story. I can't believe in 2019 people still have the audacity to fucking get online and bitch about this things like this. This is such a stupid complaint. And even, you should, if you feel if you look, feel this way, you should be ashamed. Honestly. Even my caveman brain was like, all right, did they want like a voluptuous 25 year old actress? To go to ogle yeah. instead of all right, no. I feel creepy with a fifteen year old with seashell boobs. Nope. Just it's how dare you that. it's just how dare you cast a black girl. Get over it. Ugh. Honestly. Like, screw you if you have that. Yeah. Just... I just don't what and film Twitter look, I get it. Film Twitter's getting mad. It's a righteous indignation. But like why even talk to those people? Like you're just gonna get in a war of what? Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't see a lot of the outrage firsthand online. I, I saw it if I went digging for it. Okay. So so this is one of those Battinson things where yeah, it, like it exists if you go looking for it. I was I was pleasantly surprised with how much of it didn't exist. I did go to the July Fourth party and I did get people talking about how is Robert Pattinson going to play. <laughs> there was you know people who don't watch all these indie films are probably voicing that like how is the guy from Twilight playing? So maybe that's but even that but that's a argument, total, again, right, that argument is is at least more of a we're off on a tangent we're off on a than this this is ridiculous i uh, just wanted to point that out but for number 6 here let's wrap up there is a shitload of big horror rumors out there michael yeah chris rock is rumored to be interested in starring in that saw remake alongside samuel jackson and if that wasn't enough mike Brad Miska of BloodyDisgusting.com has a source he trusts who claims that not only is DGG back to direct the Halloween sequel, but David Gordon Green is going to shoot back-to-back sequels, both to be released in October 2020. This is too good to be true, isn't it? Uh, WTF? So, the Chris Rock thing, I'll believe anything. He's going to be the producer of the Saw reboot, so that's fine. If he wants to work with Samuel L. Jackson, I can't imagine... Samuel L. Jackson turning him down. He'll be a funny detective. Yeah. And Samuel Jackson would be a perfect foil for funny detective. Get Adam Sandler in there, too, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I would see any... That's fine with me. Whoever you want to cast with the Kill song. Adam Sandler in the first act. <laughs> no. Wouldn't that be hilarious? No. no. How dare you? <laughs> no. Kill most of the cast of Grown Ups in the... Per- they're in the first room. That would be That, that would, be would be hilarious. That would be funny. They all die immediately. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> uh, the bigger story, obviously, is the David Gordon Green stuff, so... This can't possibly be true. Like, if you want to say he's back to direct Halloween and he's got to do back-to-back sequels, I'll buy all that because, like we said numerous times here, he and Danny McBride pitched the original Halloween idea, the the reboot, as a two-parter. So it wouldn't be a stretch of an imagination to think that he not only had the sequel already forged out and thought out, but he has a sequel to the sequel already in mind. I hope they pay him his money because, like we said last time we covered this story, that they he didn't get paid very much for his work on Halloween. So mm-hmm. I would like to see a bump in budget so everyone in that production gets paid. But to release them both, I trust the source that Brad Miska had a great article and he seems very adamant that it's all true and that he trusts them and he wouldn't say it otherwise and that's all fine. But to, to release them both, two movies in the same month, just makes no sense to me. 
it makes no sense to release models of the present, right? Or of the recent past, because this hasn't been done since the 30s, 40s, where you have serialization right, really taking hold on Hollywood, where you can make movies for cheap. And yeah, back then, you could have an adventure about Duck Dodgers, who's uh, the Daffy Duck character I'm referencing that Tarantino <laughs> played from that thing. I don't know. Whoever you had, you had movies that could be released back to back. Like, we've seen it done to the point where Kill Bill was filmed back-to-back and then released in subsequent years. We've had The Matrix. Yeah, The Matrix, Avengers. Subsequent years, Avengers. We haven't seen it be condensed like this, but Mike, we would go see both of those movies, right? Yeah, would everybody? Aren't you going to cannibalize your box office? Even if you release one on October 1st and one on October 30th, you're going to cannibalize your box office. What if two ends in, like, the craziest cliffhanger? And then three is just like the greatest finale. I, I, I well, think if it work. works, it's gonna be a g- giant shift in the industry. I would think because if that if they somehow do go forward with this and it does make enough money where they're double dipping everybody, they get a return audience the likes of which we've never seen because of this pacing on which they're releasing these things. Mm-hmm. That's gonna totally shift the industry. I would think. It's gonna be a big shift. Yeah. I mean, well, think about it. They can make these movies for ten million dollars a pop. Right. They have the talent here for a certain window of time. If they're confident enough in the, in the story, and it's got to be the story that that works, of course. I I can't I, I can't wait to see somebody try this. I think this is total ballsy. I, I would I would love to see them try it, if and you, I would have faith look, in them more I mean, than other people. If you're gonna give me two new Halloween movies, and I, I'll see them both probably numerous times, but we are I would like to think the exception and not the rule is the general audience gonna be in for that. I don't know. It certainly will come down to the story, and it certainly will come down... You, if you bring back David Gordon Green, that's a huge deal, because the first Halloween, the remake, was an unadulterated success across mm-hmm. the board. Critically, mm-hmm. financially, everything. It was a boon to dimension. It, it's one of the only properties they really have going right now that's making money. So they need to make more, as much money as possible to compete with the likes of Disney and all the other things that's going on the shifting of the industry as it is. So maybe it's a good idea for them. I, it's It's a ballsy gamble i'll say that i mean god i i i would hate to see it fail i don't think it can fail box office wise like if you make each for 10 million it right the first one on october 1st is gonna make 25 million it's gonna make 25 million probably yeah probably in the opening weekend so oh yeah boom success at least yeah it's it's gonna make 50 million in the opening weekend most likely right so the second one even if that falls down it's still going to make money it, it just comes down to quality and what's the taste in our mouths at the end of it yeah I agree i'm in for whatever i just don't want to be live in a world where we're stopping the this horror renaissance we're in <laughs> don't do anything to change what's happening with rock great the horror movies yeah. and re reliving these great horror properties and doing them justice that's all i care about and if you're gonna do this with scream you're gonna do this with halloween i don't care do whatever just do it right that's all I care about. I'm intrigued. Yeah. This is as much as I've wanted a beard in the whole episode because <laughs> I'm just stroking my imaginary beard here. All right, guys. That's going to do it for this episode of MMO Weekly. Hope your week's getting off to a good start. We want to know your comments, questions, thoughts, concerns, obviously, on any of these stories or anything else that we cover here in the MMO Empire. You could reach out to us. Leave us those comments at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere. 
where you hear podcasts and receive podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Uh, if you have a couple minutes or a couple seconds of free time, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, we truly would appreciate those. Yes. Michael, what's up next for us? And what's some words of wisdom to start these people's weeks off with? So we got a few more Tarantino movies. We got Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. That will lead into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which of course is released the week that you're on vacation. Yeah, so poor planning. Poor planning by us. Poor planning by <laughs> me. Tarantino. No, bottom line <laughs> is yeah. we're going to have a full uh, release schedule for you guys. We're already planning to get ahead on that release schedule how many episodes will you get that vacation week we don't know yet but bottom line is we're gonna have a mid-year oscar report that is ballooned into something bigger than we ever hoped for but it's gonna be fun like the whole month of july we're gonna release an episode a week we think we might have two this first week guys be excited We, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about in terms of oscar race we're getting hyped up in the preparations of this, because a lot of movies that we're able to dive into, a lot of narratives that we're able to introduce, things that we want. So we're really excited about this, what looks like to be a three-parter yeah. on the mid-year Oscar report. So you'll get one a, one a week, or you get three parts for that. We also are going to do some new stuff, which is fun. So we're going to have a speculation episode about a franchise that we're passionate about. Yeah, a lot of stuff coming up in the MMO Empire. We want to have you guys uh, here for all of it and hope you keep uh, commenting along the way. What about some words of wisdom to end this on here, Michael? I'm done with talking about the Knicks on air. I'm just <laughs> done. That's wise for me. And I think I think if, if you really want the basketball talk, let us know. Otherwise, we're retiring it and we're getting, we're getting back into Oscar mode. Yeah. So here it comes. It's never over. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you soon. Have a good week. See ya.